Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with various authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work has influenced the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we'll explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency and understanding for each and every learner. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, Lori Conrad is joining us to talk about the art of planning. Lori connects years of classroom teaching and professional development experience to help change instructional practice in Colorado and across the nation. She's the author of numerous articles and papers, as well as the co-author of Put Thinking to the Test. Welcome, Lori. How are you today? I'm good, Michelle. How about yourself? I'm doing great, thanks. So, Lori, we... um, have a long history together, and you have a very long and rich history with the PEVC. So I thought we'd start off this morning by just sharing a little bit of your story. Um, As your experience as a staff developer, as a classroom teacher, as a lab host, as an adjunct professor, tell us a little bit about you as a professional educator. Um, Well, I've been a teacher, educator, staff developer, whatever role I got to have for 36 years, 37 years. Um, I'm old. What can I say? Um, And I've taught just about everything from kindergarten through university. That's where I first met you. It's at at UCD. Um, In terms of my work with PEBC, I've been a lab host. I was a lab host with my kindergartners and with my fifth graders, sort of the bookend of my time with PEBC. And then I've also been a staff developer in various and sundry buildings here in the metro area um, since, gosh, 22 years, I guess, ago I started with that because it was right after Amelia was born. Um, And then for a time, I was the uh, senior staff developer, I don't know, project manager, whatever you want to call it, the person down at the office who sort of tried to corral everybody together. That was a great fun time. I did that for a number of years. yeah, so that's I've been a little bit of everything to a lot of people. When we think about your history with the PEBC and we think about that trajectory and all the time that you've spent in different classrooms as a lab host in your own classroom, supporting staff developers, working with leaders and leadership teams, um, leading institutes and seminars, your intellectual fingerprints are all over the PEBC teaching framework. You have always been... Um, so precise and intentional with your plans, regardless of your planning for students or for adults. I thought that would be a really fun conversation for us to have. I love it. Planning is one of my favorite things to do. It really is. So when you think about planning, what makes it fun for you? What gives you energy when you think about that planning process? Um, I think the thing that gives you the most energy is when you start planning, um, it's like that the range of possibilities, all of the things that you might um, make possible, make uh, uh, have those opportunities for students and for adults and for colleagues and for ourselves. Um, it's like 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 Pandora's box is completely open, and there's all these ways we can go down, all these these streets and avenues and nooks and crannies. Um, and when we're planning. It's just that sense of the openness and the the positive possibilities. It's just, um, it's refreshing and it gives me energy because it doesn't feel like 
um, things are narrow or things are, or, or things are like rote or things are like prescribed, but it really is that sense of, um, the creativity of it, um, comes through. Yeah. That's what gives me the energy. And that's what I was inferring from what you were saying, that creativity really fills you up mm-hmm. as an educator. Um, so we think about you know, the, the guiding questions at the PEBC. We've really been exploring the relationship between agency and understanding and which instructional practices will promote that. And we think about planning the specific question that is kind of our guiding question, if you will, around planning is how do we plan for both agency and understanding? For students, and how do we specifically plan learning experiences that will cultivate agency and understanding? Well, I think that's so interesting because I don't think that you can plan for understanding if you aren't at the same time planning for agency. Because for me, at the core of understanding is that sense of as a learner that this is for me. I'm the kind of learner who. I'm the kind of reader who I can do this. It's like that that sense of power and control that comes with a deep sense of understanding is at the essence what agency means, at least for me. Um, that that sense of, of being where kids and colleagues see themselves as the kind of people who can do whatever it is that's sitting in front of them, can do that kind of reading or that kind of writing or that kind of math. Um And so if I'm planning for understanding that sense of getting it and getting it in multiple settings and being able to uh, like revisit it and reapply it in a new situation, in a new context, um, and really talk about it to a a real deep way, you can't do that without considering agency. You just can't. So those two are, for me, mutually... um, connected. You can't do one without the other. Um, And so when I think about planning for both of those two things, it really is that sense of how is the learning that I'm envisioning to do alongside kids and colleagues, how is that going to build the sort of cognitive wherewithal that allows them to know, yeah, I'm that. I am all that. I I am the kind of writer who knows how to. And then plan so that kids can answer that question for themselves. Or if it's a colleague, I'm the kind of teacher or I'm the kind of leader who can create this kind of classroom or this kind of school or this kind of experience for, for students. Um, and I can do it in this context, and then I can reapply it in that context, and uh, and I'll remember these things and continue to build and grow them. Um, so for me, I don't know how you could do planning for understanding without agency, and I don't know that you can really plan for agency if we're not really considering the notion of um, deep understanding uh, at the basis too. I just those two. I just don't think they're mutually. They cannot be excluded from one another. So, Lori, I'm hearing a couple of your beliefs bubble up. The belief that students and learners are capable and the belief that understanding can transfer across contexts and situations. Mm -hmm. What other beliefs drive you in your planning? I think the belief that gets stomped on the most often 
when it comes to planning um, is that I believe that teachers have the capacity to plan amazing experiences and environments and communities for students. Far too often teachers are handed things that look like plans that someone else did, that the underpinning of that is a teacher's not smart enough to do that kind of work on her or his own. So one of my strong beliefs is I believe that teachers and school leaders are the smartest darn people in the world and given the right support and given time, um, they can create amazing things for kids. Um, and every time we hand them something that's already done by someone else, we are circumventing, we are short-circuiting that amazing capacity that every teacher has. That is a huge belief that I have. Um, I think another belief that sits underneath my um, planning practices is that everything I've done in the past is a stepping stone to something new and amazing in the future. That if I repeat something, I am cheating myself. Um, I am robbing myself of the opportunity to do some intellectual heavy lift. And if I don't take that opportunity to continue to grow my own wherewithal, my own capacity, my own skills, my own um, understanding of what it means to be a great teacher or a great reader or a great writer, um, then I'm also robbing my students of the opportunity to reach whatever height that they might reach to. Um, yeah, so I think those are two really strong beliefs that I have that, that center on the planning practices. So with that said, your belief that teachers are, educators are, the smartest folks in the world, as you said, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the most creative, and that there we build this internal energy through the planning process. So I'm wondering for you, what does planning look like? What does it look like and sound like? like take us into that space. How do you go about planning at the macro, at the big level, maybe the year level or the unit level? And then let's kind of winnow down into what might it look like to plan for a week or for a day? If I'm going to start with a unit plan, I think the most important thing for me is to try to land on um, a big idea or two or three or four that really lives in the world beyond school. That sort of, um, our friend Debbie Miller always says, a big idea is, you know, what are kids going to remember 10 years from now? And so I start there. Because if I can start that big, then I know the work that I'm going to do isn't going to get lost in the little bitty pieces. And if I start that big, then I'm also trying to honor the fact that if the work I'm planning for doesn't live big, then it probably isn't worth doing. Um, and so, because then it's just that little, little piecemeal, little you know, Don Gray's always called it the cha-cha-cha curriculum, a little of this and a little of this and a little of this and a little of this. So starting with that big idea, and those big ideas are almost always about the way thinkers live in the world. And the difference being a thinker matters in the world. Um, and then from there, uh, like the way I can filter whether I'm on the right track as a with a big idea is to really look back inward and think, okay, is that what I do? Because if I don't do it, if I don't think that way, if I don't 
um, make use of that big idea in my life as a functioning adult living in the world, then it's not good enough for kids either. Hmm. And so once I have some big ideas figured out, then I also know I'm accountable to standards. So then I try to look through the standards to think which of the standards fall under these big ideas. So I don't, I don't want to start with standards because I think standards are too narrowing, but I also know I'm accountable to those things. Um, and then I think about, so at the end of this unit, what are the important takeaways that learners would be able to share with the world that shows that they have come to some new and personal understanding of these big ideas? Um, and once I have those kind of big rocks, um, everything else sort of falls into place because then it's like, okay, if that's sort of like the overarching sort of, that's the frame of my picture of my painting. Now I get to decide from day to day, what's the colors, what are the, which are the colors that I want to use to do the background and the foreground and the, you know, whatever else that that painting is going to end up looking like. So when you're designing a unit plan and you have those big rocks in place and you're thinking about those different colors, if you will, of the painting, mm -hmm. how intentional or precise is your planning within a unit plan? Are you planning out, you know, if it's 20 days or you're envisioning three or four weeks for this particular unit of study, are you actually delineating what might happen in each workshop in that unit? Or how do you, how do you pick the colors? What does that look like on the, the in-between? Well, I think this is the, the interesting tension that has to happen in planning, that as a teacher, I have to know, like, I've got to have my roadmap, I've got to have that frame. But if I do all of that intricate planning in my house or in at my desk or, you know, with all my materials around me and kids aren't part of it, then I'm planning in the absence of children. And that's a huge mistake because then that means the plans are mine. They are never theirs, um, which means the learning is mine and it's never theirs. So when I, once I've gotten that big idea collection and some of those sort of end like events or products or, or experiences, then to me, it's, it's thinking about what are three or four or five like touchstone moments that I think are going to happen across the weeks. And then I figure out how am I going to launch this? What's my first step in? What's that first workshop going to look and sound like, which is a lot of thing, a lot of, then I have to figure out how to think aloud about work that may feel really natural to me, or it may feel really like, I don't know, I've never done this before. But then the, the workshops that sort of live between those touchstone moments, they have to be organically developed alongside kids because kids need to see their fingerprints on our teaching. They need to know it's their voices that are driving tomorrow's lesson and Wednesday's lesson and Thursday's lesson. Um, they need to know that if we turn left instead of turning right, it's because of something that they did, not because of what I planned ahead. Because kids can smell a unit plan written in ink day one, day two, day three, day four, day 27, day 28, day 29, they can smell that like a, like a, a bad uh, dinner and they don't want any part of it. That's a terrible metaphor. Oh, well, sorry, that's the best I can do. <laughs> um, and so 
I need kids to realize that my plans are always dependent on them, that my plans are always influenced by them, that my plans are always colored by them. I'm paid to figure out the big stuff and they have to help me figure out how to get from point A to point B to point C. Um, yeah. And that's the thing I think in some of this remote learning, that's the piece that I think so many of our colleagues have really missed that sense of getting kids to offer their immediate feedback that then allows us to adjust and readjust and, and, and revise and reshape tomorrow's lesson based on the way that they talked and looked today. And I think that's been something that's really been lost this spring. Yeah, I think that has been really hard for a lot of our colleagues and a lot of teachers mm -hmm. is not having that information in which to use to plan or to shift plans for the next day or the mm -hmm. days to come. Um, we mm -hmm. also, you mentioned earlier, um, kind of that obstacle or pitfall around scripted curricula or mm -hmm. curriculum that someone has given you to teach. And so for a lot of our listeners, thinking about planning this way might be a second order change. This might be a big paradigm shift of mm -hmm. not having you know, six weeks of lesson plans developed in your unit. So let's say that you have created your unit, you know where you're going, you have a really clear picture of the outcomes. You've launched your unit of study, you know where you're headed, you know what those kind of, you said, summative kind of events at the end might be, performances or products, whatever it might be. Walk us through what happens after that launch. You've had a couple of workshops, you have some information from students about what their understanding or where their misconceptions might be, what does the planning look like for the next day? If I haven't already scripted it out, what does that look like and sound like? Well, that's where, that's where the, our knowledge of workshop comes in. Cause then that's that sense of, I have in my plan book and my notebook that, that little workshop wheel. And it's like, okay, this is what kids did yesterday, or this is what they did today. Here's where I think we need to go next. And it's that sense of, okay, what's the work that I want kids to do next? Um, and then if that's the work I want them to do, then what's the one thing they need to hear from me tomorrow that will leverage that work? Um, and then how are we going to reflect on that? Like, how are we going to come back to reflect and say, okay, so what's tomorrow going to look like? So today's reflection is absolutely the stepping stone into tomorrow. And, and I don't want to be the person who like bangs really hard on scripted curricula. I mean, I think probably people do that. I have to believe people do that with a, with very good intentions. I want to keep reminding myself that that is a resource. It is a source of information I can come back to over and over again so that I can say, oh, wait a minute. If this is the work I want them to do, hmm, how might that, what's that one thing I might do tomorrow? Like if, if they're currently really working on their uh, 101 pieces of, uh, of uh, nonfiction writing, their expository pieces, and, and what they've really discovered that they're having trouble figuring out like what's that lead supposed to be like, well, I can go back to a resource I can go back to the colleagues that we know. I can go back to something that Katie Wood would say, or that I could go back to something that Lucy Calkins would say, or that Jeff Wilhelm would say, or whoever, and look at some of their language and go, oh, that's language I could use tomorrow. So that's how I can use curriculum and uh, pre-published units of study as a form of resource for me that I can 
mirror and then share with my kids when they need it rather than, well, it's Tuesday, so I got to do Tuesday's lesson. Um, so in planning tomorrow's workshop, that's what I do. I think about where did we end today? What did kids say or write or explain today during reflection that shows me, oh, here's the, here's the, the, um, opening. Here's that, that little crack that I could sneak into and push us forward. And then, okay, so here's the work for tomorrow. And then what's the piece that they need to hear from me in a craft lesson that's going to leverage that work, that's going to make that work richer, smarter, more more polished, more, I don't know, people talk about how do you get kids to go deeper? Well, that's how you get to go deeper. And then how do I plan the reflection so that I have more data that's going to pull me through the next day or two or three? Yeah. But again, it's all about how do we, like those anchor charts that we craft those, those, the, the way we pull kids back together into a workshop has always got to be, here's what Michelle said yesterday. Guys, do you remember when Michelle had that question? Let's explore that question because then kids know that what they say and what they write and what they produce during any workshop is going to show up on tomorrow or the next day's teaching. And so then they realize it really matters what they say or write or do in today's workshop. So really thinking about that tension that you mentioned between being very, very intentional, knowing exactly where you're going in one sense, but at the same time, having the opportunity to be flexible and to be creative in order to get there. Yeah. Like a really that, great road trip. Yeah. And that flexibility that, that those decisions have to be based on those kids that are sitting in front of you because otherwise they get the sense like it doesn't matter. You know, I, one of my very first books I read a million years ago when I was first in teacher school was, is the title is the geranium died on the windowsill and the teacher kept on teaching. And that has stuck with me since I don't even say what year I first read that, that we can't have kids believe that uh, the geranium can die on the windowsill and we just keep right on going. We can't have them believe that because then they realize that they're not important in this process either. And it's the same to be true if we're planning professional learning for colleagues. They have to believe that their questions, their needs, their quandaries, their predicaments will help modify and modulate the work that we plan for us to do together as colleagues. Because otherwise it's like, well, I don't know, she's got her script. She's just going to go. Doesn't matter if we're here or not. So that learner-centered planning is the key. Yeah. So as we wrap up this morning, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or are there any suggestions that you might have for someone who hasn't had the opportunity to plan like this in the past or is thinking about changing the way in which they approach their curriculum or their standards? I think my, my uh, best suggestion, my, my most fervent hope is to find a buddy. Find a buddy. When we wrote the uh, book, um, put thinking to the test, that's one of the things we launched with was, you know, <laughs> there's a picture book called Officer Buckle. And Officer Buckle always said, go with the buddy. And I think that the best work I can do as a planner is always when I link arms with somebody else who can help me clarify and think through and refine and like provide support when it feels like I might be walking in a blind alley. Um, but if you have somebody who's willing to, you know, throw their weight behind it too, along with you, 
then I think um, it's remarkable how much, I don't ever say easy because it's never easy. And if it gets easy, you're doing it wrong. Um, but how much more, uh, how much more fun it is when you've got a buddy with you. So that would be my, my last like hope and fervent wish for everybody. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It was such a pleasure for me to get to talk with you. I know I always learn a ton. And when I think about, you know, our theme of agency and understanding, I think, you know, a lot of your ideas that you shared with our listeners really tap into the idea of teacher agency and teacher's understanding. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Ward-Hoffer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.